Learning and Yearning is an ongoing project from the high school section of TCTELA. TCTELA's goal is to advance the literacy growth of all Texas students by developing a network of diverse professionals and by providing professional development based on best practices in education. Welcome to Learning and Yearning, a monthly podcast for teachers in Texas. I'm Ivy Gowdy. And I'm Andy Parlow. We are your hosts on this educational journey. We're just here to remind you, yearn and learn is what you do. Welcome to this episode of Learning and Yearning. How are you today, Ivy? Oh, I'm doing great. Our school just finished up our last round of star testing, so we are done for the year. Woohoo! I am super excited for this first episode. I mean, the year. Oh, what are we calling it? Pandemication. Oh my gosh, pandemication. <laughs> so let's tell the people what we have lined up for this episode. Well, Andy and I will be discussing some current hot topics. We'll also have interviews featuring RJ Solijax and Melody Graves. And a recurring segment, Code Red, with Dr. Shona Rose, where she will discuss educational emergencies. And last but not least, what the kids say. So we're going to go ahead and get into it. But first, I think we're going to take a minute and just introduce ourselves, since we're going to be the host of this podcast all the time. So go ahead, Ivy. Who are you? Hi, I'm <laughs> Ivy Gowdy. Um, I am a curriculum assessment specialist at Phantom Middle School here in Amarillo. Um, basically, it's like an instructional coach. Uh, I do work with all four core areas, but my background's in the English language arts. I taught eighth grade English for three years and then 10th grade for one, and I've been in my current position for three. However, I am coming back to the classroom next year. Um, I'll be teaching high school, just don't know the grade level yet, and I'm super excited to get to get back into the work that, that I just think really matters. Um, you know, my, my, my teaching philosophy is making sure that every student has a safe and inclusive environment. Um, well, I'm Andy Parlow. I have been teaching high school for a really long time. Um, I think total, I've probably taught 22 years now. Uh, the last 11 years exclusively teaching high school ESL kids. Um, I teach at Tascosa High School, which is like our second biggest ESL population in Amarillo, Texas. Um, let me see, my teaching philosophy I think is super simple. I've gone from those really convoluted ones to just kids first. Like for me, as long as I'm thinking kids first, I know whatever I do in my classroom is going to be on par. All right, so we're going to move into our hot topic discussion for this uh, this month, and we thought that, you know, it being the year, mm -hmm. that we should look at some things, the positives and the negatives. So yeah, kind of, they, they've been both, for yeah. sure. You know, the good, the bads, and the uglies. So first thing we're going to talk about is what worked this year. Oh, what did we do <laughs> that, that we just were like, wow, what were we proud of? So in my position, you know, I'm working with teachers, and I'm going to say teachers worked. Yeah. Teachers Hard. worked. <laughs> um, I haven't seen teachers have to juggle so many things at one time ever. And, you know, it wasn't always pretty, but they kept coming back. And they kept showing up for their kids. So I, I just was in awe of watching these teachers just recalibrate their whole classroom 
to make it uh, work for their students in a hybrid environment? I don't know what worked in my world. There were a lot of really cool things about our learning management system that really helped my ESL kids out a lot. Like, I think once we had gone over, we had to do, we did a whole unit just on terminology in Canvas. So, I mean, it is a whole new language. Yeah. I mean, especially when you're talking about beginners in English and, and intermediate English speakers. So we took like the first week and just did vocabulary that they would see like, um, Module. Yeah. <laughs> module collaborations. Um, just talking about even like, because teachers will always say, contact me. What does that mean when you're an ESL kid? They um, don't know. Yeah. And so we would show them if it says contact me and this is this color, click it. Right. And then you can ask your teacher a well, question. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> you know? So I think once they had that down, it worked. No, and you know, that kind of leads into mm. to our next question. <laughs> what did we think would work? And did not. Oh, man. And, you know, I I was thinking about when we first started using Canvas. And you and I both were trainers on our campus. Yeah. And so we got a little crash course a week before we sent it to the teachers and had to learn it. And it seemed really simple. Mm-hmm. Like, because we didn't know what we didn't know at that time. Yeah. We didn't know yeah. all the other stuff yeah. that we had to do. And so it seemed like, oh, this will be easy. We can learn it jump right in and uh, as many of you have found out that have used canvas it's it's not so simple yeah um, it takes some time um, but but like you said I'm I'm really happy with it I think our students um, are getting a lot of benefit out of it because they know where to go to find things yeah and they can finish their work and and I think it's easy to like bash it right now. right like you right. know everybody's yeah. unhappy and they just want to like put the blame somewhere. So if we're going to talk about the things that didn't work, let's just go there. Yeah. What What was your low moment? Gosh, I mean, school-wise, definitely, uh, at semester, looking at the vast numbers of kids that we had fail for the semester. Yep. Um, it's never been that that high. Yeah. Um, and, and just like we were talking about before, they, they just kind of thought, well, I didn't really have to do much last year. And so I'm going to kind of go in that same mentality um, when we started telling kids summer school is yeah. coming. It, it, I think it really kind of hit home, but have they changed? Not so much. Like, I'm just looking forward to a reset. <laughs> the next year, I'm, I, you know, I'm always, I, I'm optimist. So, yeah. like, it's going to be, it's going to be so great next year. We're going to come back. We're going to be prepared. <laughs> Our kids are going to know what to expect, and it'll be great. Hopefully it'll feel more normal, you know, like, cause I think that that's been to me, my low moment this year has just been the lack of fun. Like things don't feel very fun. Mm -hmm. Cooking. I used to cook in my class with my kids and then they would write about it. We haven't been able to do that. Nobody can touch everything. So yeah, yeah, I miss fun. Yeah. I'm ready for a year with some fun. Right. (laughs) How do we cope with the low moments? How do we cope with stress this year? You know, I personally, I, I, I've always been a good manager of stress, I think, because I don't really address it. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, oh, this is fine until it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing that I've really been cognizant of this year, um, I used to, you know, take a lot of stuff home. I used to work from home. 
um, yeah. just to stay on top of the game. And this year I just couldn't. I just made a, the decision that, you know, I'm going to get what I can done at work. And guess what? It'll be there tomorrow and go home and focus on my family. I've been journaling a lot, like a lot more than I normally do. I've been writing a lot, even if it's just lists. It's just, you know, mm -hmm. something just to get it out, get it on paper and just walk away from it. Like virtual. You know, I'm going to say overall, no. You don't think it worked? I don't think it worked. Okay. I think we had some very small, bright pockets mm -hmm. of kids who were able to manage. Um, but in middle school, it, I, those kids, they, they just don't, they need someone yeah. to keep them motivated. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, a lot of our virtual students had parents that worked. Yeah. So it was just, it's very difficult for them. So I, I would say overall, for middle school, it does not work. Yeah. Um, I, I hope to see a different model next year uh, where we're able to bring kids back sooner Yeah. when they're not signing in, they're not completing their work, because obviously yeah. there's a problem. Absolutely. I, I think, man, I'm 50-50. I'm real split on whether I think virtual worked or not. I think because we were so quickly pushed into it, yeah. it didn't give us enough time to get teachers used to it to the point where teachers felt really confident and ready. Because, right. Do you think it might have been different if we stay with Google Classroom? I don't know. I go back and forth. Yeah. I go back and forth. The kids knew Google Classroom. Right. Which, I don't know. I, I can say this. It takes me longer to put lessons in Canvas yes. than it ever took me to put it in Google A lot Classroom. More clicks. And... Honestly, it was hard to tell. I mean, I know you can go in and you can see, like, if a kid's been in your Canvas and blah, mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. But a lot of times, I would leave Canvas mm -hmm. open on my computer, and I would go look at how long I'd been in Canvas. And it would literally say, like, 15 hours you've been in your English 2 class. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, I, and it was just because the tab was because open. Because you kept it open. And I don't know if you've looked at the kids' computers, but the amount of tabs that are open on their screens oh is ridiculous. Like, how do they function? Like, to the point that it's only, like, one letter, you don't even know what that tab is. Right. Like, I've watched them have to click through, like, 25 tabs to be able to get to the lesson they wanted help with. Wow. And I don't know that we're doing a good job if that's what's going on. Yeah, like, you know... Um... Online management. Mm -hmm. Is that a class? It should be. <laughs> if you're going virtual, I think that should be mandatory. Online management. <laughs> so we, we've gone through the, the dark tunnel, and now we're going to get into the light. And so um, let's look at some positive stuff. So uh, what is something that you learned this year that you think you'll continue to do? So we had um, this training planned pre-pandemic. We had an organization called Capturing Kids Hearts. Um, I'm sure a lot of people have heard of it, yeah. um, but we had them come in and do this big full day training with our teachers. Yeah. And it's all about just creating positivity in the classroom. Um, and it was just, it's just a wonderful um, system, easy to follow. And one of their things that they, they did is every day in every class, you start off with good things yeah. and you share a good thing from, from your life. Mm -hmm. And then you ask a few students to share some good things from theirs. And it just turned into such a beautiful moment in these classes that kept it up, yeah. you know, that really followed through. And you could tell the difference. Um, our discipline reports went 
down like a lot and that could be you know a combination of things but the teachers felt it was that structure um, of capturing kids hearts that just gave them the tools yeah to create a more positive environment so when I leave Fannin and and come over um, to my new school then I will definitely be using good things yeah um, just because kids like to talk about themselves and it just makes them feel good well I mean in that in, in your you're keying in so hard into the SEL absolutely thing, you know and and that they're being seen and heard mm-hmm. and and that's so important yes yeah. so important and it's and it's a good way to normalize normal things yeah. like your good thing could be I found my missing book yeah you know yay it's great I had awesome a pancake you, this morning right? yeah. you know it doesn't have to be these huge <laughs> life altering events yeah. um so that that was been good for our students to see very cool I think for me, and this is such a weird thing, this is so weird, and it's really just happened in the last month. So I always do read alouds with my kids, and we're reading aloud the 57 bus right now. Great book. And I didn't realize how many things in that book they probably did not know what that was. Mm-hmm. And so I really started, so what I've done is now I record the reading, and I make little videos that... I play, and so it's me reading the chapter, but it's a video. And so when it talks about Sasha getting, you know, the burns on the legs, I found a. It's I know it's gross, but it was it was the least gross picture of like third degree leg burns oh, I could wow. find. And I warned the kids it's coming up in this video. You're going to see what this looks like. But I yeah. wanted them to know the severity of what happened to this right. kid, and then um, showing them what like a burn unit room looks like. And I think that that visual has been something, and I knew, I mean, teaching ESL, you know right. how important visuals are. But now I have this completely new way of doing read alouds. I love it. That context is so important. Yeah. Um, you know, just to have that visual. And I think it that would work for all kids. Yeah, I just use Adobe Spark. Right. So I just put the picture in and then hit the record button and read that portion and then go to the next one and read that portion. And I think it takes a little while, but I think the the feedback I'm getting from it is so much more than if I just sit in the room and read something and then ask them questions. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, so... So, you know, you're doing all these wonderful things in class and your students are doing some amazing <laughs> things. So what kind of celebrations have you been able to have with them? Uh, podcasting this year went like I've podcasted. I don't know. Is it like three years now? I've been doing podcasting with my kids and they're always pretty good. But this year, well, some of them were very clean. They were well recorded the thought and the content was really developed um the last round we had them do ads and some of those were just a hoot like they did a great job like their promo codes were funny i just seeing them really enjoy it and then being able to have our listening party and everybody's just comfortable in the room Mm -hmm. some people brought popcorn and then we just listened and then we just made sure we clapped for everybody at the end and man it was just it really warmed my heart this year to see how much they embraced creating podcasts and how creative and inventive that they were with it. Yeah. So, yeah. That's awesome. This is a big one. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't have students this year. Right. So, <laughs> you know, my, my celebrations have been limited. But, you know, I focus on the teachers and really just encouraging them. Yeah. Um, 
a lot of teachers were down this year and and just making sure it's been a hard year they knew i saw them i i acknowledged their hard work you know even just celebrating you learned a new tech app and yeah. now you're immediately putting it into practice yeah. to make engaging lessons that's amazing like you took time to learn this so your students can learn better so yeah. don't forget all the little things you're doing so i think lot. my job this year has kind of morphed into a teacher counselor yeah <laughs> you know yeah and and that's okay because that's where i was needed um just a place where they can just vent or cry or or just show their frustration in a safe place knowing yeah. that i'm not going to judge them and mm -hmm. i'm not going to just try to fix everything yeah um but i will help you if you want it but sometimes they just needed to vent yeah i think there was a lot of that this year well teachers are superheroes hands down <sighs> this I year mean, for sure that they're just resilient and strong, and, and we applaud all of you yeah, for getting through the year. Yeah, the year. We applaud. <laughs> I mean, and I would even say, like, admin and oh, for sure. counselors were working super hard this year. Yeah. Like, so if you're listening and you're not a teacher, you just need to know that you were seen, you were understood, and you were appreciated. Because I think it took everybody on a campus absolutely to get through this school year our custodial staff <sighs> like yeah. wow how how much more work they had this year librarians you think about how the library had to completely change right. in its form and functions books. yeah <laughs> quarantining books and then being able to quickly acquire ebooks and things like that if you didn't have that set up already i know yeah. that was something our librarian had to do um, and I just, man, I just think everybody on a campus should just have, you know, tons of applause at this point. Absolutely. We might, we might play it here in just a second. Some applause. <laughs> so. Our uh, guest today, I'm super excited about, um, he is a really amazing educator. I've been hearing a lot about him. Um, and so I'm going to go ahead and let him introduce himself. And so uh, here we are with uh, RJ Solijax. Hi, hi, everyone out there listening. My name is RJ Solijax. I am currently the principal at Bivens Elementary School. And um, I've, I've got to my, my position in a traditional yet untraditional route. Um, uh, a little bit of an outside and different type of candidate because um, I'm a first generation United States citizen. I, um, my family came here, um, my father did when he was 14 years old. Um, his, his mother answered a newspaper ad in the, in, and it was for a job at the Ritz Carlton in New York. Oh my goodness. And, um, she saved her money, sent for my father when he was 14 he, she left when he was eight wow. and um that's kind of where our story starts in brooklyn and the projects ended up um just doing really well in school he received a full ride scholarship to cornell but wow. um, ended up having to um go into the marine corps because he was the man of his house so uh -huh. he helped take care of his mothers and siblings and travel the world met my mother at 26 in the philippines and brought her to the states and, and you know we were uh, became a family at that time and uh, grew up in southern california um that's a, i think that 
attributes to my laid back attitude Probably. for the most part. Yeah. Um, go with the flow type of person. And it ended up coming to Amarillo, Texas when I was in, in third grade and getting a complete culture shock. Oh, so, yeah. sure. Yeah. And, and Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Went yeah. from just a very diverse population to uh, who's the black kid in the class and I'm turning around. Like, there's a black kid? Like, I had never seen one myself, you know? Because my crayon show that I'm brown. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, just getting thrown into, you know, just uh, West Texas and, and, you know, being able to uh, at least having a, uh, a glass half full type of attitude yeah. and saying, you know what, there are also a lot of beautiful things um, in this area and we always got to uh, try to find the silver linings. You're, you're a lot like some of the kids that I have, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, and, that, and I think that has also been a really cool thing because uh, it, it's not hard for me to make connections with kids because yeah. my story is so similar to them. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have had a lot of the same you know, just uh, trauma yeah. uh, that you, that growing up in poverty looks like. Well, one of the reasons that we really wanted to invite you, I mean, you're kind of everywhere right now. I don't know if you've noticed that, but it's like you're <laughs> um, yeah. I talked to some people who knew you, and they were like, absolutely, get him out there. You need to, like, mm-hmm. you want to hear what he it. has to say. So we're excited it. to have you here. All right, so we have these uh, no use, like, I guess yeah. that's what we're going to call them. <laughs> and we're going to use them every time we interview someone. And so since this is the first time, we thought we'd just have the conversation with you so that, you know, our listeners can get to know us as well. So so our first uh, question uh, we're going to share is, what's your jam? What are you listening to right now? Um, you know, I was I was talking with you all a little bit earlier. Right now, um, my, my huge thing is, is books on tape. I just want to continue to challenge myself. But um, when it comes to feeling good, I... I, I Still go to my Southern California roots. I, I love me some Tupac. Oh, yeah. uh, yeah. I mean, California Love is my all-time favorite jam. So, awesome. Um, it, it, it's just uh, good vibes, and I, I like poetic type of music. Yeah, absolutely. So. Yeah, so I just recently discovered this song on FM 90, our, our local college station, and it just had such a good vibe. And then when I really listened to the words, I was like, wow. Good, good tune. It's called Don't Need You by Genesis Owasu. So, you know, it doesn't really pertain to my life because it's about like a breakup. But I was like, wow, those are some great words. And just like you said, the lyrics, it's, it's very poetic um, and fun yeah. to sing along to. I think for me, it's kind of funny. I found my song on an iPhone commercial recently, so my recent jam, because I mean, you always have your old jam, and then you got like your new jam. Mm-hmm. So my new jam is called Crumbs by Jordan Dennis, and it's so good. It's, it's the same thing. It just has a good beat, gets you in it. His mm-hmm. voice is awesome. All right, next, what are you reading right now? Um, right now, I'm reading A Promised Land um, by Barack Obama. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's been a just eye-opening read just to get deeper into his story and his journey yeah. um, and just kind of get a, a first-person look of you know the process you know to yeah. to to become the person he was meant to be and the the different hurdles that he just had to get through in life and, and grow and the the background story of all the basketball and the, yeah. the you know the, the good times the laughing and just hear him talk candidly as a person yeah. you know, he drops a couple explicitives here and there you know but 
it, but that shows the human side of him and how he always used poison grace uh, when he was in front of others. So yeah, um, it just lets you see him more as a person and, and a human. So I have enjoyed that. And then, so yeah, currently I'm reading um, "How It Feels to Float" by Helena Fox, and um, she is an Australian-born author. And um, this is her debut novel, yeah. which is quite amazing because I, I haven't really read something um, so that just sounds so personal. Um, it is definitely taking a, a strong look at mental health, uh, anxiety, depression, yeah. um, hallucinations, and just all of the issues that, that our teens today are facing. And and it's just like a stream of consciousness of all the anxious thoughts that this young lady is having. Um, you know, and it hits really hard because, you know, my daughter suffers from mm-hmm. anxiety, like debilitating anxiety. And just kind of to get that perspective of, you know, these are the kinds of things that go through her mind yeah. on a daily basis. Um, I read a lot of books at one time, so I'm just going to give one. Um, I recently finished today, actually. It's called The Midnight Library. That's by Matt Haig. Um, our librarian, Mr. McGowan here, told me to check it out, and I'm so glad I did. Um, at the beginning of the book, you have a girl, a woman who's killed herself, and she ends up in a library with her like childhood librarian (laughs) and she has to work through all the different possibilities that would have happened in her life if she had taken different angles so it's kind of like it's a wonderful life it's like that kind of basis um with a really beautiful ending like an amazing ending all right so you know we we all i think feel very called to this profession that's why we're here yeah but if you could choose, if you could do something else, what do you think it would be? Um, golly, that, that, that is tough. I, I, um, I, I think I would always have found some way to serve. Uh, maybe I, I may have been in another life of... Um, an officer in, in some type of, uh, you know, uh, maybe the Marine Corps or yeah. the, the Navy, something like that. Um, I also... I also dreamt of, of being an artist or mm-hmm. an architect. I, I always have enjoyed drawing and um, just creating things from my mind. Fashion, I've always been yeah. tied to fashion. I, I mean, as a little kid, I, my uh, parents put me into like some modeling and some other different yeah. things. So um, I, I've always loved that. Some project Runway, yeah. Yeah, strut. Give me my, my best blue steel. Right, now. Nah. <laughs> you know, as you were talking, you know, I, I thought of something, but then I was like, man. There are a lot of things I'm really interested in, too. Yeah. I remember in high school, I really wanted to be a marine biologist. Like, I, I researched what school I wanted to go to and, and had all these dreams of just being out on a boat and taking samples and doing all this research. And and then it kind of fell apart. Um, I ended up joining the military um, and then learning all about electronics and, and um, IT. And, you know, I landed in this career because in the back of my mind, you know, English was always my passion. Um, I always thought I wanted to teach. So I didn't come to this profession until I was 35. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think I found my place. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if I had to choose something else at this point, <laughs> I think I would go into counseling. Um, yeah. And, you know, I just... Just all the stories we hear as English teachers. Yeah. <laughs> I think our kids are more open and vulnerable with us. 
Um, and I find myself kind of going into that role, you know, obviously doing everything I need to do um, as far as reporting our, our safety, but, but just having those open conversations with kids, yeah. um, I think that that's what really kind of gives me what I need is knowing that they have a safe place to come to talk. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's all of these social justice books I keep reading. Mm-hmm. I would probably go into law. Yeah. And, and I look back and I'm like, man, I should have done that anyway because, man, the money's a lot better. <laughs> I think, you know, working for something like the Innocence Project or something like yeah. that would yeah. have been something I felt was really gratifying yeah. and, like, worth my time. A lot of people just talk about equity and, and what it really looks like. Yeah. And it, it is the hardest thing to uh, I, I guess the American way of thinking to say that I get less and yeah. you get more yeah <laughs> and that, that's and how is uh, that fair how, yeah. and, and, and that, that that F word right there that fair word yeah. um, because that doesn't exist yeah there is no like level playing field whatsoever yeah. and I, I think that's kind of why you see my face everywhere because I can't <laughs> shut up. <laughs> yeah, but that's what we need. That's, that's, that's what we need that to happen. Yeah. I mean, that's just the perfect segue for our first yeah. question. So let's just go ahead and jump right in. So you, you talked about level playing field and equity. So in terms of that equity and diversity, what changes do you see that need to happen immediately that we could just start implementing tomorrow? Keep resonating me. This this saying that's kept me safe through my whole life is "go slow to go fast." Yeah. Um, because if you want to do it, you got to do it right. It's got to be intentional. It's got to be planned. Um, it can't be just something we're going off on a whim. And I I, I believe. It comes with um, going through and taking time to get to know your students, um, yeah. to really put aside the, the teaks and the standards for a bit, yeah. um, and, and getting into some literature that you guys all can enjoy together, yeah. um, and really having conversations that have students, you know, just like you said, set up setting up that safe space for students to share stories and know that everything that has happened to them has value, yeah. um, and being able to share literature that has those types of conversations because it is we're at a point where the clicheness is getting away from things like mental health and yeah. um, a talking about those types of topics with kids um so being able to maybe even pull in some of the things that you find that you guys are diving deep in that has the the information and letting kids get into there and being able to share those experiences and stories because until you read a story and stop that there's let's say there's a gun there's gunshots Mm -hmm. you know going on outside um this character's window and stopping and just asking the honest questions has this ever happened to you guys yeah and letting the kids turn and look because some of them would be like oh that doesn't happen here that doesn't and them just being able to be put in a, a different um just space to be able to say that i sit next to this kid every day in class and this happened last week yeah golly like it's just time to to learn and not always first force this this circle into a square peg yeah yeah, yeah. All right, so um, you know we talked about some some things that you want to just do right away, but but you also said go slow to go fast. Um, so what are you thinking long term? What what are your visions? What are your goals? Um, I I think it it's just 
to continue to build relationships. Um, oftentimes, find ourselves wanting to surround ourselves with people who cheer on our beliefs and and be able to not challenge ourselves to put ourselves in rooms where people do not agree with us. Yeah. I think you said it earlier. It's the word empathy. It's like, I mean, if we can use literature to help kids start to develop empathy, because I feel like we live in a society where people have lost the skill to feel what someone else is going through. And, And that is heartbreaking to me because I think that that's really what a lot of our issues in society stem from right now. So what, what do you think that white educators can do better? To begin to focus your conversations about literature, um, to have open conversations and find strategies that allow to us. Luckily, um, more recently, I've, I've connected with um, the Leader Reader Network. We're going to partner with them in a, this project that I'm actually having a meeting with them tomorrow uh-huh. about the pro- this project I want to do for my staff development to begin to create the circle process in classrooms and have it kind of is a changed way to look at like a morning meeting and such. Uh-huh. Um, because I think they're spending more time with us than they're spending at home with their parents. Yeah. And so now we're parents and we're educators and um, another set of eyes that care about this human being. So now we're put in a role where we've got to implicitly, not and explicitly, teach behavior. Yeah. So they're going to provide us with 25 diverse texts wow. um, per classroom yeah. to be able to begin these conversations. They're going to give us um, different types of strategies. I, w- I was in a webinar the other day, or two Sundays ago with them, and they had a high school English teacher uh-huh. um, reading a um, couple paragraphs out of this, this, this book um, that they had, I don't remember the title, um, but it was about an Asian American family mm-hmm. and how this young girl who was in high school yeah. um, did very well, made good grades, was looked at very highly by her teachers, but in her father's eyes, yeah. um, she could never leave up to the standards. Yeah. And as she was reading, you were to put things that you related to in your mirror mm-hmm. um, and things that you didn't understand yeah. in your window. And the conversation that happened after that was wonderful. If we can begin to have conversations like that in our classrooms, then this kid isn't making fun of this kid over here anymore uh-huh. um, because they understand them. They understand yeah. their story. They, they value them. They value their experience. So and That's the seeds of empathy right there. It, it, 100% that's how it is. It starts to grow. It's how it's built, it, and it it's means something to um, their educational process as well. Yeah. And then, you know, we've got that new... Um, in social studies this year that they're coming out with with civic um, civic education and responsibility so yeah. that's something that you know even the state of Texas wants to hit on head on um, to be able to say we do have uh, responsibility in this yeah as people yeah. yeah so I'm excited to learn more from them yeah. they're probably gonna be happy I plugged them so it's all good <laughs> All right. Well, you know, we did our hot topics earlier, and, and we centered this this uh, conversation around the year. And you know, we've heard a lot of people talking about the kids are behind, the learning gaps. Um, so, what do you? What is your view on on our kids being behind? Um, golly, um, this is a time that we've got to be the most conscientious in our work because. The, the gaps have gotten bigger, especially the equity gaps. Yeah. Um, I can 
fully see the difference between the students whose parents work with them every day during the pandemic and them not losing as many steps. I'm going to say everybody lost a step because who likes to learn from mom and dad? You know, it, it's it, 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 nobody, it's not the, the environment to best learn for most children. There's, a, there's one percenters in everything. Yeah. You know, whether it's following the rules, whether it's doing well in virtual learning. Yeah. You know, there's always going to be a one percenter. In yeah. every, I mean, math does not lie. There's The law of averages is part of it. And, and that's part of also so why we can see the equity gap because there's with an average amount of percent of citizens who are this race, this color, that and the other, it should be represented in everything, that percentage. But you look at even in our city here, we've got 200,000 people in our city and uh, we've got the, the largest school district in the Texas Panhandle who is the most comparable school district is Houston ISD with makeup and, every, and amount of students you know, we just got this big divide um, that will continue to get larger and will not be approached until we can get to that point of, uh, of just having those, those dif- difficult conversations. Yeah. So next year, what do you think it's going to be like? What do you see uh, for our district? Um, how are they going to handle virtual next year? What do you think are, are going to be our options? Do you see it continuing in the district? Um, you know, I've, I've been part of several different conversations, and I think, you know, I this is a I, I love and trust our leadership that we have in our school district because yeah. I, I truly do feel that they are they do have a very tough position uh, because they're only one step away from the public and be, can be scrutinized a little bit differently even than my, by myself. For me, it kind of is a little exciting because I, again, I'm a glass half full type of guy yeah. <laughs> um, because I'm like, what could it happen to like turning the teaching profession into like, now I'm a free agent type of thing. Like, yeah. I'm the best at what I do. Uh-huh. I, I, um, I have a track record that follows me. If your kid comes to my class and they follow it, I'm going to be highly engaging. I'm, you know, I'm going to turn my my passion into a, a tool that I'm going to show a different window to the world. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I that's kind of where my dreamer goes. Is like, you know what? I can have kids from all across the world tune in just for me. We can get to a system where you can get certain certifications and you get certain um, professional accolades that we can pay you for that as well. Yeah. Um, that that could be a beautiful thing. It could make our trade more competitive. Mm-hmm. We, can, we would mm. be able to um, pull in a lot of younger minds that maybe you know would be pulled into a different scientific field. Uh, you know, all, we do have a, a a scientific field that we're in every day. You know, we're yeah. in uh, we're in a case study every time we go in that classroom. <laughs> it's not for elementary. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness oh my gracious! Goodness. Yeah. Like, I don't think it's for middle school. Uh, middle school too. I mean, I'm going to say that as well because yeah. they're. They're developmentally, you 
need to be around other humans right. to be able to know this is right and wrong. Yeah. Like I said, parents aren't the best teachers. Um, you, um, a, a child's relationship with a parent and yeah. being able to put them in a different box as a teacher mm-hmm. is, is two different things. I wouldn't be able to teach my own kids, but I can teach other people's kids fine, you know? <laughs> um, it's just, as you get to that point where you get closer to that college age, yeah. um, I'm going to say I did probably over 50% of my college online. Right. And I mean, that is a big movement that you're seeing. I mean, I think our local junior college has been online all year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They've done hybrid classes um, where you, you're online um, half the time and you're in class the other. So they mm-hmm. split classes. So they're smaller, but, but everything, all their work is all online. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I see high school being able to take more advantage of that, right. of getting students prepared for college, mm-hmm. um, getting students prepared to enter the workforce. Well, RJ, this has been really great. We're really happy that you came in and you visited us with, with us today. And is there anything else you you got on your mind? Um, you know, I just um, always want to you know figure out a way to spark the next generation of educators. Um, I was uh, a kid who kind of stumbled into education a little bit. I um, was a office aide my senior year. Um, <laughs> Like twice, like I got all my stuff done. Because I mean, I, I I was ahead in school. I was taking dual credit classes. I wanted extra studying time as well. So yeah. it, it all made sense. And um, I, I looked outside one day, and there was a Cadillac uh, Escalade. And um, David Banner's Cadillacs on 22s. It just came oh, out. And I, was, I, was, I was listening to that yeah. song, and I saw the video, and I had never seen that before. And I, um, you know, uh, my way into education was so, I was so vain at the time because I saw that, and I was like, whose car is that? They were like, it's their superintendent's. So I was like, what? <laughs> A superintendent could afford that vehicle? They're like, yeah, they make over $200,000 a year. I was like, huh? You know, tell me that again. So, um, you know, there there are paths in education that, you know, do give you that type of income Mm -hmm. um, to be able to to live a lifestyle that you never thought you could live yourself. Um, Growing up in poverty, I didn't think that route was available to me um but you know at this point in my life i know it's available to everybody it's just you have to have um a mentor to really help guide you um through life um some people are lucky enough for that to be their parents um other people are not so i I just um always want to leave that you know that sometimes the most untraditional routes are the best routes because they do lead you to um your passion things that you do love um and don't count out that kid who um, sometimes is a little quirky, who dreams <laughs> a little differently. think that going back to normal would be a nightmare. The world we've been living in really hasn't been very normal. You're probably going to hear my email chime and maybe the dryer will go off. Perhaps even the dog will bark. But really what I think about that is a code red for our thoughts is that we need to be running away from normal. It wasn't working to begin with. 
pandemication in education just revealed stuff that was already wrong. The virus simply made it visible. Kylene Beers walloped me with something similar many years ago. Giving instructions isn't instruction. And boy, I hit hard with guilt on that one. While I often get in trouble for being a little salty and stepping on some toes, my own included, saying hard things, well, they need to be said so we can do better. We're all doing our darndest in the worst of situations. That's a given and it's forgiven. But I think we have a window here into something that can help all of our learners. Last week at Abydos, I was confronted with a quote from Ferry, much like I was confronted with the one from Kyleen. He said, education must begin with the solution of the teacher-student contradiction by reconciling the poles of the contradiction so that both are simultaneously teachers and students. In my journal, I wrote this. Reminds me of something my mama says, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Taking Frary to heart, we could turn the phrase to, if the teacher ain't learning, ain't nobody learning. We can even go further to say, if the students aren't teaching, ain't nobody teaching. So here comes the hard stuff. During pandemication education, many times we teachers told kids what to do. We gave them the steps in the lesson plan and the assignments they were to complete. Read this, answer that, respond to these, turn in all those. Now, normally, we would have been able to walk around the room to check for understanding and re-explain what the kids weren't doing right or where they were moving off the mark. We could call the class back together and tell them all about how to fix it. Then we could send them off to get busy again until someone else asked the same silly question or we saw the same mess happening again. Honestly, let's not go back to that. Frankly, that should have never been normal. As I've been working with teachers and now grading Reading Academy artifacts, it's clear that an explicit model by and from the teacher about how we do our work isn't the same as telling kids what to do or getting them involved in it before they really know what they're supposed to do and the quality of what it should look like and sound like. Hattie would call it teacher clarity, success criteria, and self-regulation. Might be a little bit of feedback thrown in there too. So what would this look like and sound like? My favorite pre-writing activity is blueprinting from Acts of Teaching by Wilson and Carol. I made a little script about what it would look like as instructions and then as instruction. Instructions. You're gonna draw a blueprint at a special place that will help you remember experiences that you can write about. First, draw the floor plan of your house. Next, label the rooms. Now, on the bottom of the paper, start writing out things that happen in those places. Okay, you have five minutes and then we'll share. Instruction. Drawing a blueprint of a special place can help you remember experiences that you can write about. Let me show you a couple of ways to do this. Sometimes I draw out boxes of what my house would look like if I took the roof off. So here's where my bedroom was. I began to think about what was in that room and things I did in there. So I'm just gonna jot that down on our thinking anchor chart so you can look for it as ideas if you get stuck. So. 
what was in the room, things I did in there. Okay, oh my goodness, that's my closet. I just remembered about a time when my mom couldn't find my kitten. She asked me where it was. I had been keeping it in a closet so I could find her when I wanted to play. <laughs> no wonder that cat ran away from me every time. I'm gonna write cat in my closet down here at the bottom of the page before I forget. Another thing I can do is remember people that were in those rooms. Freddie, will you add that people to our thinking chart while I tell you about what happened to David when we were playing with the box fan? Now, you not only see into the top of my house, but inside my mind. As a student, you would have a visible sample of what I wanted you to do and how I started thinking about the process of coming up with ideas to write about. You'd know what good work looked like and how to do it, and you'd be able to get started knowing that you were doing it right. And then the teacher's work would change because instead of looking around to see if the kids were following the rules, the instructions, we could learn from what the students were thinking and give feedback to them or extend or prompt and probe their thinking. We'd all be teaching and learning. Let's make instruction normal and leave the instructions for IKEA. Okay, so uh, today's interview is with a pretty amazing lady from the Amarillo area. Um, our community has had um, Black Lives Matter rallies just like all over the nation. Um, we've had a lot of community involvement that's becoming, I almost feel mainstream and I'm really excited to see that. And, and this woman, I feel like is at every event that she needs to be at. And so I'm gonna hand it over to her and this is uh, Melody Graves. Would you like to introduce yourself? Yes, uh, my name is Melody Graves. I am currently the Associate Director of Academic Advising at Amarillo College, and I am a North Heights advocate. Okay. All right, so what's your jam? What are you listening to right now? Oh, I'd say anything Mary J. Blige. Ooh, she just yes. speaks to my soul. Yes. Yes, she is a pretty amazing woman. Yes. <laughs> Good times with that. Uh, so, okay, what are you reading right now? I'm reading a book about John Lewis. I'm reading a book about anti-racism. Um, I just finished a language, what is it? A language in the Healing World, I believe is what it was, which was really good. Just reading, um, I'm being called on to be a diversity trainer, and so I want to be as educated as possible on that topic. If you could choose any other profession, what do you think that would be? Um, I would love to be a motivational speaker. I'd love to travel around and motivate people to be better. I think you would be amazing. I think you already are. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Haven't you started that? Um, you know, I, I, I rewatched your TED talk today, and all I could think about was Barbara Jordan. Yes. And that voice. Yes. You know, that, that voice that just carried through generations, and she was just a big proponent of amplifying voices and, and being heard. So yes. I just want to thank you for uh, amplifying your voice. Thank you. And she being is here one with of my us. heroes, yeah. definitely. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we have um, some questions that we'd like to ask you kind of about how education and community are working together because 
Um, I know you're involved in the education world as well mm -hmm. in a community college way, but I also feel like you are so in tune with the community needs that we have. And so we wanted to look at this from educator standpoint, but also from just community members mm -hmm. and especially those communities that are not represented as well mm -hmm. as certain other ones. And um, so I guess one of our first questions is, uh, what are some of the key issues that you see in this community right now? Goodness, oh, we have an hour for this one. <laughs> <laughs> I think, um, I think the differences on sides of town, I think, is really um, apparent. I think the fact that kids on one side of town don't get as good of an education as yeah. they do on the other side of town from more affluent places. I believe that there's a lack of resources and a lack of people willing to walk people through the journey to get to those resources. I mean, and that, that kind of leads right into our next question. Um, is how are the schools working for community? So you, you mentioned, you know, the disparities in the, the sides of town. So what is going well in some of those schools and what needs to improve? We've got to get everybody involved in their kids' education and um, we need to have the meetings at times when people that are working can come or Absolutely. have them televised or Zoom or something. But we have to get that information out to the community. I would agree. I think more representation, mm -hmm. too. We need to get some people who wouldn't normally run for school board mm -hmm. to do it. Like excited yeah. about it. You know, it's time for a change. Amarillo is ready for that change. And change is not bad. Exactly. Like, I don't know why we're so scared of change. Because it's uncomfortable. Yeah. People don't realize that that's how you grow is when you're uncomfortable. But yeah. nobody wants to grow. They're like, I'll just stay here, you know, like, it's, it's fine, you know. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just we have to say something. When you see something or somebody abusing a, a power that they have or a privilege, you have to be the one to be like, wait, well, let's come back to reality and talk about this. What a, what a great lesson if we could start teaching kids that early. You know, be that light in the darkness and don't be afraid of it. Like, exactly. It's not an easy road, mm -hmm. but it's a needed road. And in the end, it's so worth it. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. I think that's a lot of empowering the parents, you know, yeah. but that goes with creating relationships with them. As teachers, you're already tasked with so many things. And then to say, okay, now I need you to go make a relationship with all your kids. Mm -hmm. I know that that's hard. But there should be a way that we can facilitate that because through that relationship, I start to trust you. And if I trust you, then if I'm having an issue at home, I can come to you and you with the resources can guide me to where I need to be. But without trust, I'm scared of what you're going to say. Yeah. I'm scared of the perception. I'm scared that my kid's going to get bullied if they find out that we're going to the food pantry, you know, things yeah. like that. And so it's it's humanizing those resources for people who have been dehumanized. I think changing the narrative in the very beginning, you know, mm -hmm. that's like the teacher saying, you know, I'm here for your child, you mm -hmm. know, whatever they need, like, I can help them get that, you yeah. know, they can trust me, you can trust me. Yeah. You know, I think that would help with that a little bit. All right, so this episode is centered around what we're calling the year. Um, so what are you seeing in the community that community members need to kind of get back on their feet? Goodness, I mean, there's so many disparities from lack of food. Yeah. Um, people not knowing how their rent's going to be paid. Um, cars are breaking down. Um, 
people are still choosing to do virtual school. That's hard. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think you could just have a dartboard and just throw it in, at different things that are going on with this year. Mm -hmm. You know, I think the good thing is, is that it gives us kind of a baseline to say, okay, this is what we went through. We made it through this. So now how do we get past it and be successful going forward? Yeah. As far as virtual, what are, what are some of your thoughts on kids being virtual? Um, my son has been virtual all year mm -hmm. um, since the pandemic started. And it's the hardest thing ever. Yeah. Um, I know that my child is going to be behind. Mm -hmm. And I know that I'm going to have to find resources for him this summer or he's going to start eighth grade behind. Yeah. And I don't want it to be like summer school because I feel like the teachers are already so tired, you know, to make them. And so we're working with the community to try to put together a tutoring program where these kids can come who are behind and they can get the skills that they need. Yeah. I think that's extremely important. But as a single parent that works in my community and wants my kid to have the best health and education, this past year and a half has been awful. Yeah. What would you say, like, specifically thinking about virtual instruction? What did not work? What was not helpful? I think it was hard to keep them on task. Uh -huh. um, having such a rigid amount of work to do. Mm -hmm. And even though there was a lesson provided, I found myself having to reteach myself everything yeah. so that I could effectively teach him. It's really going to be important that... that we all understand that we're, we're a level playing field and we're not going to be upset if someone didn't learn something that they should have learned last year because really it's arbitrary. Mm -hmm. You're going to learn it now. Yeah. Right, right, right. <laughs> well, and I worry about how much we use the word behind mm -hmm. in front of those kids. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, when our conversation's fine, mm -hmm. but man, if we start saying that in front of these kids all the time. They're going to get that mindset yeah. and they're never going to catch up. That confidence level is mm -hmm. just going to, like... Go in the gutter. Could you imagine being a student starting on the first day of school and every single one of their teachers said, we're so behind, mm -hmm. we have so much work to do to get you back where you need to be. Yeah. They're going to leave that day feeling defeated. Mm -hmm. Right. And what's the point? What? I can't do this. So, you know, we're talking and... and Man, you've shared some great ideas about bridging the gaps between school and community. Um, what else are you seeing that we can do as um, educators to bridge those gaps um, between school and community? I think being present. You know, I know that the summer is your time, but maybe if we do get these tutoring things, just show up. Yeah. You know, come and just read a book to the kids. You know, don't take it as like a job that you'll have to do, but do a little bit of recreation with it or yeah. something like that. You know, I think everybody needs to be taken care of and you guys need self-care and everything. So we all need that grace to understand, you know, like everybody's tired, you know. Mm -hmm. But at the same point, we have to keep that end goal in mind that we have to make sure that this next year that this kid is back on point and that they do what they need to do so that this that so that this year doesn't become a hiccup that holds them back yeah I mean I kind of think that sounds like self-care going in in a you know a non-threatening environment without an agenda and just going to have fun with the kids what do you think that teachers can do to get more involved I want to say with like parents because that's an issue I see at the high school level a lot like 
you don't see a lot of parents on parent night. You don't hear from parents very often unless they're really upset about something. something. Like, I, I wonder sometimes what other people are thinking. Like, how do we, how do we make that a really cohesive partnership? I think it's continue with the parent nights, mm -hmm. continue with PTO, you know, and have something that the people get out of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that was the best conversation I had with that teacher. Or, you know, even if you had sessions where you're teaching the parents how to be effective parents, you yeah. know, and you bridge that in reading. So, like, they give you a list of things like finding the main idea and things like that. And so educating the parents about how that what you guys can do I think a lot of times parents think I don't want to bother you mm -hmm. I know you're already tired because you've been with these kids all day so the last thing I want to do is call you and say well such and such is really having an issue how can I help them <laughs> yeah. type of thing yeah and so again that's back to that relational thing that's back to talking to them intermingling with them in any aspect going to games you know yeah. and seeing kids supporting them that way and things like that the more that the parents see the teachers the more that they'll get to know you because they'll be like oh i remember you you were at that game mm -hmm. or you know you were screaming real loud you know <laughs> and, and, you know things like that and i think that that those small things they seem like oh that's just going to a game but to a kid whose parent had to work that night yeah. or to somebody who's never had anybody in the stands cheering for them, mm -hmm. that could mean everything. All right. So this has been a hard question to ask. Some people have struggled with this one. Um, how can white educators be better? So what, what are some of your thoughts there? Like, I have extensive thoughts about this. I think. <laughs> um, one thing I think um, is being educated being educated about your kids that you have in class. Yeah. Um, that's very important, you know. Even the ones that that may not be minorities, but it's still understanding where they come from, that dynamic. Yeah. Of course, the students who are like refugees, learn about their country. You know, adopt, you know um, do some of their um, rituals and things like that, you know. I've seen people taking uh, part in Ramadan this mm -hmm. year. And everybody was like, oh, no, they'll be offended. They'll be offended. But then you talk to them and they're like, no, this is exactly what we want. We want that. Yeah. You know, so it's taking that time to understand, you know, in the summer coming to Juneteenth to the parade mm -hmm. to see your kids marching in the band down the street, you know, coming to the MLK celebration and seeing your band kids in the parade, you know, participating. Yeah. I think those things are important and it helps the kids to see you not just as a teacher, but as a support. Because when they see you as a teacher every day in class, that's all that you're going to be is my teacher. You're my teacher. You're my teacher. But when it becomes more, then that's when I want to make you proud. Because yeah. not only are you my teacher, but you're believing in me because you came to my, my recital. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. And, and it does take extra time. And I know that everybody is strapped for time. But those small things can really help. And also, I think a lot of times we use the word ally. Yeah. And I think everybody understands allies, but what I want, I want people that are co-conspirators, you know, like yes. I'm out there being loud about it, yeah. you know, and so I want it to be where people are like, Melody, I got it, you know, let me handle it, you mm -hmm. know, you know, usually when you come to a school, you assimilate to the school culture, but the school should assimilate to the kids culture so that they feel welcome there.
I'm going to ask this, and we may end up cutting it out. I don't know. I just had something happen today, and it it just made me reflect. Mm -hmm. So I was doing lunch duty. So um, this this table, and they were all African-American young men. They sat down, Mm -hmm. and they were just inward this, inward that, Mm -hmm. back and forth to each other. And, you know, I I asked them, you know, let's not use that word in school. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I know it's it's culturally acceptable um, for you to talk to each other like that, but I know I know a lot of black people that would be offended by that, and and they don't think it's okay. And one of the young men said, "Well, y'all gave us this name, so we're just going to keep using it." And I said, well, "Hold on, <laughs> I'm not y'all. <laughs> yeah. I did not give you that name, and and it, it's just not the right place." to use those words, no, no matter how you mean it. So I don't know if I could have handled that differently. Um, am I culturally appropriating them by asking them not to use it in school, or or should we ask them not to use it in school? Yeah. No, I think that's a very hot topic issue. That's a hot topic, I've definitely. been called a pretty dirty word for telling a kid who was saying it every other word, mm-hmm. like out of the cafeteria, to quit it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he got pretty mad at me. And like, <laughs> and see, all of that is like that's in their home bringing, in their raising. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because the word means an ignorant person, yeah. right? So technically, it's not race related. Yeah. But what they've done is they've tried to take that word, just like women do with the B word. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm gonna take the power from it, so I'm gonna use it. Yeah. But really, it, it's a word that we don't need to say. Because when we say it, it's like giving everybody else the opportunity to say it. And so, yes, you did correct. You have, and, and that's what I mean. You know, that's the hard part of it. You know, is saying you guys shouldn't say that. Mm-hmm. You know, and when they say, you know, um, you gave me this name, my ancestors may have done something like that, but I lead with my heart, mm-hmm. and I see you as a person, yeah. as a human. Yeah. And that's how we need to um, address each other. And so it's become a huge thing for me, I think, over the last three years is is the topic of code switching mm-hmm. and teaching you that, you know, when you're with your buddies and you're at home, you know, say whatever you want. Mm-hmm. You know, if you want to call each other, that, go for it. Mm-hmm. I don't care. Mm-hmm. But when you're at school and you're in a different environment or when you're talking to a boss or something like that, you need to be able to switch in your mm-hmm. head. And I know it's uncomfortable. But I have to do it. We all have to do it. I have to do it. Yeah. I tell the kids all the time. I don't talk at school the way I talk at home. Exactly. Like, yeah. It's just that difference. It's that, and maybe they don't understand now, but one day they will appreciate you calling them on that. Well, after they get fired a couple times, they start to figure it out. Yeah. I've had some come back and tell me, man, I should have listened to you. Mm-hmm. And, and most of them will do that. Yeah. You know? yeah. And so that, and that's why it's, it's persistence. It's have an educated response when they say something ignorant like that, yeah. you know? Yeah. And it's not making them feel dumb about it, but being like, you're a human. I don't, why are you calling yourself that? I see you as a person. Yeah. If I were to cut you and cut me, we're both going to bleed the same, mm-hmm. you know? And so it, it's an opportunity, I believe, that that you guys, that teachers have yeah. to, to kind of facilitate a little bit of growth there. And it's uncomfortable. And, and that's the issue. It's mm-hmm. getting leadership to see that this is a systemic issue. Yeah. You know, we can march for miles. Mm-hmm. I can give 50 million of the best speeches, but if I don't take steps to end systematic racism, then I'm just walking down the street and talking. 
you know, it's got to be, you got to put the rubber to the road, you got to, you know, you have to be that change. Yeah, yeah, I think um, Ibram X. Kendi, he, he hits on that pretty hard mm-hmm. in his book, How to Be an Anti-Racist, mm-hmm. um, and it's not just about saying, I'm against racism, mm-hmm. it's being an anti-racist, what are you doing mm-hmm. to, about it? How are you standing up and and being there for your community? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I think training needs to happen because you guys are teachers that are going to ask those questions. There are some teachers that are just going to offend and move on. Yeah, you know, or some teachers are just going to be like, "Yeah, that's exactly what you are." So I'm going to let you call each other that, and I'm going to go over here. I think a lot of students sometimes have weird notions of what teachers' lives are like. Sometimes it takes such a long time for them to finally realize that, oh, okay, okay, you know, and, and I think so many educators are just afraid to open themselves that much and let a kid really get to know who they are. Like, I mean, I think they don't sometimes see us as human. Mm-hmm. Like, they, they see you as elite. Mm-hmm. You know, like, you're way up here. You're teaching. You're rich. You know, you're, you know, like, I, you know, I mean, just the the craziest things, yeah. you know? Like, if you're here teaching me, then you must be able to be, you know, you're must a billionaire or something, <laughs> you know? And you're like, no, you know, that's not it, you yeah. know? But yeah, I do. I think they have an unrealistic view of teachers. Yeah, well, a lot of that comes from the fear that teachers have. You know, I, I started teaching about uh, maybe a generation after, but there are still some teachers in our school that gave me the advice in my first year not to smile oh, before it. Christmas. Oh, and um, you know, don't let them see you smile because then they'll take over your classroom. And then, and then you will lose control all year. And I said, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I have joy in my heart, and I'm going to teach from a joyful place. And we are going to laugh loudly in my classroom. So, you know, that, that mentality, it's hard to break down those barriers and that, that mindset that, that we are in charge and you will do what I say because you have to, because I said so. And instead of shifting it to, we are learners together, I can learn as much from you as you can from me. We are a community of learners to see that. I mean, that gives them value right there. That's all it is, you know? And if we could get away from that, like that first week, I know you have to do lessons and things like that, but that's that's the value part. That's when you give those kids some successes. Because if you give them a few successes in the beginning, the end of the year, they're going to be, they're going to continue to try to provide those successes for you. So I guess the, the last question I would have for you really is, um, what would you want to tell schools? Like if you could just have one big message right now, <laughs> hey schools, what do we need to do? What needs to happen? What do you want them to know? Like more intentional training needs to be done. And I think that the teachers need to be better taken care of. I think if we expect them to do something as important as taking care of our kids for that many hours a day, then we need to make sure that they have what they need. Because like you said, some of them are living check to check just like other people, you know? And so if I don't have to go out and buy $75 in supplies, I could put that back into my house. Well, I'm going to come to work. I'm going to be a little bit happier. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I think it's like everybody's like, oh, we got to please the kids, please the kids. But in my leadership position, what I've learned is that if the people who are working for me are happy, 
they're going to take care of the kids for me. Yeah. You know, if I appreciate them, they'll do whatever the kids need. Well, they take care of you, too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What the Kids Say. In this section, you will hear from real students from across the state addressing some of our hot topic concerns. What did you think about virtual? First semester, I was not the biggest fan of it when we were first introduced to Canvas. Um, I felt like an old man in an Apple store. I had no clue how to work anything. It was just so quick, just jumping headfirst into it. But now that we're at the end of the semester, I am not as upset about Canvas. Uh, at the beginning of the year, it was hard to work with, but as I worked with it longer, it got easier to, it got easy to work out easier and how to work Canvas. But I think it's all right now. What I think about virtual school, I think that it was really difficult, mostly because it was really easy for me to just keep my Chromebook shut and not have to worry about anything. But at the end of the day, I really had to do my work and, and really understand what I'm learning. And I had like really good teachers to help me out with that. Um, at first, I thought virtual school was not fun. I had trouble with the assignments online. I really missed pen and paper, but as I got used to it, it became easier to do assignments and I figured out how to work with Cami and other tools to do my homework. Difficult. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me kind of why? Because like you don't ever stay like on top of your assignments because you just feel like you never have to do them. Okay. You know, and just never crosses my mind like, oh yeah, I have to do my schoolwork. Uh, well, it was it was cool at first because you know I got to stay home, but uh -huh. then it felt like teachers just weren't grading anything. Oh, because I would turn in an assignment and then teachers would it would just seem like it just disappeared. Mm. Uh, I really want to say it sucks because I don't really like to read. So when the teacher gave instruction, I don't read, so I don't understand anything, and I just do what I want. Okay. It was very hard and stressful. What made it hard? It was just like harder because you had to like learn from like just a screen you can have in person actions. Uh, it was not good. You weren't really able to learn anything and the teachers didn't know if you were staying on task so kind of just played video games all the time. Virtual was good experience for me. Like in the beginning of the year, most of the students were scared to come to school because of the COVID thing. Mm -hmm. So I, I think it was a good idea to do virtual. I think virtual learning is really beneficial. I think that it helps save time and it helps you create kind of your own schedule in certain aspects. Um, personally for me, I actually liked virtual better because I stayed more organized and I just had my life together at home and school just adds an extra layer of stress to I did not like it at all. I hated it. It isolated me physically, uh, socially, academically. It sucks. How did this year compare to last year? There was a lot more rules to follow with masks, social distancing, and Canvas, and doing all the work online. But towards the end of the year, it started getting easier to follow, and now life isn't as hard at school. This year is different because everyone's wearing masks now and like last year was semi-normal, but 
towards the end, it was really difficult because of virtual. And then, well, yeah, our, we had to adapt to our different way of going to school. This year was a little different. Um, I felt a little distant from everybody. I mean, there was social distancing, obviously, but we didn't have pep rallies and a lot of normal things we did that we did last year, but we still were able to make the most of everything we had with the new rules we had in place. Mm, it's a lot more laid back because everyone's more stressed and there's more stuff going on. Okay. This year we actually were able to finish it, so it's better than last year, but masks are kind of annoying. Yeah. There, nothing alike yeah. whatsoever. Last year, I feel like there was a lot more like leniency with so many things. Yeah. Like, it, it's weird. And like, and teachers, like, I don't know, this year it feels like teachers are more on your butt about talking. Mm -hmm. Why? I don't know. Maybe because of COVID and they think if you talk more, you're going to spread more germs or something. I don't know. <laughs> it's just, it's weird. This year is very different. Mm -hmm. There are lots of different rules and regulations this year. Um, masks, obviously. Teacher and student contact is limited a lot more, which can affect students. Um, less paper, which is bad, because that's my learning style. I like paper, I like to see the physicality of things. I hate learning on the computer, like writing on the computer. All my essays are garbage, because I can't write on the computer. Um, math is really hard on the computer, which is why a lot of teachers have just started using paper anyways, even though I don't think they're supposed to. <laughs> uh, I think it's more fun because we got two options to either we do virtual or come to school and learn. So I chose to come to school and learn because I feel like I understand more in learning in person. I think that this year was worse than last year since most of the COVID experience. Mm -hmm. Mostly because uh, people, classrooms or the mask. Yeah. Mostly like uh, how we're not allowed to eat, cry besides our friends or talk to them or other stuff like that that they made us do. Mm -hmm. My school did not do anything different than last year. So there was a lot of uncertainty over what would happen next. We didn't really know if everything was going to fall into place like usual, but other than that, nothing was really different. Um, this year was different because of all the mask wearing. It was a little more difficult. More, I feel like more people had more anxiety and just stuff going on just because of everything that's happened with all the COVID and Black Lives Matter and all that. I feel like it's just been a tough year and hopefully next year's better. This year, we had to be a lot more careful and safe, but it was still a good year. It was fun and it was interesting because we had to find a way to adjust to COVID. And last year was also fun, but this year we got to learn more about each other. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Learning and Yearning. We would like to thank RJ and Melody for coming in and talking to us, and Dr. Rose for her educational expertise. Music is provided by Fully Modern Kitchen, and a big shout out to Jerry Tooley for his voiceover. Our next two episodes will be minis, June dedicated to reading, and July dedicated to writing. Be sure to go to tctela.org and get involved in monthly webinars, submit a proposal for February's conference, or join a section like ours. 
Full recordings of the interviews with our guests will be available on the TCTELA website.